Welcome to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast, a bi-weekly look at all things related to the growing elite clubs nationally, the ECNL. For more information on the ECNL, visit us at www.theecnl.com. Now, here's your host for Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast, former U.S. soccer press officer and longtime soccer broadcaster, Dean Linky. This is Dean Linky, host of Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast and longtime soccer broadcaster. Been doing this a long time, and I have to tell you, this interview today might be my favorite interview of all time. It's real, it's genuine, and it's about someone who's worked so hard for everything in her life. It's Sam Carey, who at 13 years old was spotted by Ralph Richards, now the ECNL Girls Commissioner, and Ralph put her on the St. Louis Scott Gallagher team, and from there, the rest is history, as she's one of the best players in the Big Ten, one of the best players in the nation. She's also one of the best Girl Scouts and an elite-level referee. She's written a book, she's getting married, she's going to be a pro, and guess what? She's got one more year left at Iowa. Sam Carey, ECNL, St. Louis Scott Gallagher, sit back and enjoy. She is unbelievable. Sam Carey, after this message from the ECNL. As the game continues to evolve in the United States, the ECNL remains the standard of excellence in youth soccer. The Elite Clubs National League has grown to include over 200 clubs and nearly 50,000 players across the country with a robust competition platform for teams, educational resources for coaches and clubs, and unparalleled identification and development opportunities for players. Alongside its member clubs, collaborating to create a better future, the ECNL continues to raise the game every day. The ECNL is more than a league. Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Once again, here's Dean. Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. As you just heard me say, I am spending time with one of my favorite players in the Big Ten. I find her story fascinating because her story is so much deeper than the fact that she's an outstanding defender for Dave Diani's Iowa Hawkeyes, who I like to call the fighting Dave Diani's. And that player is none other than their superstar defender, Sam Carey. Sam, welcome to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm proud to share my ECNL alum ability, and I'm super excited to get to talk to you today. Yeah, as you know, I was fascinated by your story when Iowa made the run a couple of years ago, winning the Big Ten to get into the NCAA tournament, almost beating UCLA. I thought you had that one. And then, of course, you know, you got a red card, which I felt was unfortunate because it wasn't deserved. And I feel like I've followed your story ever since. And your story has so many layers to it. But let's start from the beginning, particularly since this is Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Tell us about where you grew up and when you first crossed over into ECNL. For sure. I am from St. Charles, Missouri. So it's a suburb of St. Louis. And I grew up playing soccer for a no-name team. I just played it for fun. And I remember specifically, I was a 12-year-old and we had played against Scott Gallagher that game. And my team lost eight to one. We were not good, but I actually had scored the one. And so the next day, I my mom got a phone call from Ralph Richards, said that he was moving to St. Louis and starting to take over the St. Louis Scott Gallagher ECNL program. And they wanted me to be a part of it. At that point, I knew that that was the next step in my career if I wanted to play college soccer. And I started playing for St. Louis Scott Gallagher at U13, and I've played there through the rest of my high school career. 
So Ralph Richards was just recently named the ECNL girls commissioner. He's going to be over the moon about having you on. Can you go into detail what it was like being coached by him? Ralph really brought new perspectives to my game. I think that him being a coach 100% is the reason why I'm playing college soccer and that I'm successful in college soccer. I grew up playing soccer because I loved the game, but I wasn't good. I was not one of the kids that you would say would be naturally talented. Soccer doesn't run in my family, but I was athletic and I like to tackle people really hard. And <laughs> Ralph knew how to turn that into a good college player. I give him full credit for ability to teach me how to even hold up a ball, what the word composure is, because I guarantee you I had none of that when I was 13 and growing up and just really helping me find the right home. I remember probably some of the biggest moments I've had with Ralph is he really understood and respected my background. I come from a family who's not the richest and the fanciest in St. Louis. And, you know, I didn't necessarily always fit in with the area that I was surrounding. And Ralph and I just had a different respect. He respected the fact that I had a high school job. He actually was one of the first supporters of my referee career. And he really wanted to do everything he could to help continue that, including paying me some extra game fees to ref any scrimmage within the Scott Gallagher program. And even when I'm home now today, he still does that. And we stay in touch through everything in that regard. I give him so much credit for developing me into the player I am and helping me find the home that's Iowa. And he supported me through that entire process. So were there other sports that you were playing, Sam, before you found soccer and quickly climbed the ladder through the UCNL? I wasn't much of an other sports person. The only other one was track. And so this is actually a pretty interesting and funny story. I was at a track meet when Ralph first called me. And at the time I was kind of debating about not playing soccer anymore. And I was like, I'm just going to run track. I'm good at track. It's an individual sport. I can focus on me. And honestly, that phone call from Ralph couldn't have come at better times because he's like, when I want you to play ECNL and we're going to get you to play college soccer, I was like, okay, so it's soccer. So honestly, a lot of that reason that I'm still in the game just came down to Ralph's timing. And, and then throughout the rest of my years, I was like, oh, I kind of like, I like track. I'm good at it. And Ralph's like, stop running track. And I'm like, why, why are we stopping running track? And he's like, if you're going to do soccer, we're going all in on soccer. And he was really the one that coached me through that and was able to help me and to be where I am now. And so I really am owe a lot of that to Ralph and his ability. So as you were playing for the St. Louis Scott Gallagher ECNL team, where did Ralph find you? Where did he put you? Were you always an outside back or did he move you around a little bit? Yeah. So these are all amazing questions. And it's really funny because it's making me reminisce on my U13 days. So when Ralph first brought me to Scott Gallagher, I was playing center midfielder for my random um, team in St. Charles. And he was like, you're going to be a forward. He's like, you're fast, you're athletic, you're going to be a forward. I was like, okay, I'm moving to this new team. I got to really start working forward it is. So I'm going to learn how to put the ball in the back of the net. It's not what I'm good at, but we'll figure it out. And my first day of practice, we did 1v1 defending. I'll never forget this. And as soon as that was over, he said, outside back it is. <laughs> um, he's like, you're good at 1v1 defending. I'm like, yeah, like I, I'm aggressive. I like tackling. He's like, yep, you're going to be a left back from now on. And so since I was a U13, I have played left back. And so going from Ralph to now playing left back for Dave, it's been really funny that transition to us. how that's not where I thought I'd end up being, but it's basically where I've been now for 10 or 15 years. <laughs> And Sam, are you naturally left-footed or do you consider yourself somebody that plays with both feet equally well? I am blessed in the sense of I am naturally left-footed. And so it's funny that I feel like actually lefties have the advantage in the way of most of the time we're coached by right-footed people. And so because of that, you were required to work on your right foot. And so I remember getting frustrated with Ralph at times because he was notorious for doing like, okay, we're going to do the stroll on the right side and then we're done. And I'm like, whoa, 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 what about us? But it's forced me to get good with my right foot, but I am left, naturally left-footed. 
What about the mental side of the game under Ralph? How did he help you prepare to make it to the next level? I have a lot of respect for how Ralph was a coach at a youth level. And I feel like it's something that gets lost. I grew up, like I said, I played for this smaller team in St. Charles and my coach was a previous Olympian actually, but not in soccer. He was a, an Olympic speed skater. And so I took a lot of the lessons that he gave us of like, he was an extremely hard coach. He was a yeller. He was a screamer and that taught me mental toughness. And I appreciate that. But Ralph really took it in a different manner. He was really never going to be the guy that was going to scream at you. Um, he wasn't going to lose bloody murder, but he just demanded a standard. And you knew that. And I remember like, there's so many jokes I had with my mom. Cause I was like, Ralph would yell the word quality all the time. And you never knew if that was bad, meaning you needed to have better quality or if that was quality until you heard the tone of his voice. <laughs> I just felt like that was his go-to word, but he wasn't a yeller. He didn't scream at you. He never demoralized you. It was the standard that he expected and he was blunt and he told you like it is, but he was never cruel about it. And I think so many times now in the youth soccer game, we get exposed to different levels of coaching and, you know, some are more verbalizing than others and the game is growing and people are growing. And I really respected that, you know, when I was a 13 versus when I was an 18 year old, I always felt like Ralph had my best interest. I felt like he cared about me as a human first before I was a soccer player, but he also knew the level that I could hold and the level that I could produce. And he wanted that for me. So pleased to be visiting today with Samantha Carey, the left back for Iowa. I actually called her game a couple of days ago against the Minnesota Golden Gophers. And of course, I've called her game over her several years. She did tell me that she's coming back one more year for the Iowa Hawkeyes. I got to believe Dave Diani love to hear that news, right? I'm stoked about it. So Ralph, actually, the other thing I really respect Ralph for um, in all of my time in the ECNL is when I first committed to Iowa, I knew that it was the place for me. And Dave actually called my family first and asked if I'd be interested in graduating high school early. And I was like, I don't know, like, we'll see, like, it's not really something like I should do. And the first person I called after our, Dave and I talked about it was Ralph. And I was like, Ralph, like, is this the answer for me? Do I graduate high school early? Do I get into college? And he goes, listen, he always called me Sammy. He was the only person in my life to ever call me Sammy. And he's like, listen, Sammy, he's like, you're going to do it. And you're going to go all in. And I fully believe that that encouragement from him led me to graduating early. And that led me to the success I've had here. So I really owe so much to him in that program. Here with Sam Carey, the left back for the Iowa Hawkeyes. So let's dive deeper into your time at ECNL with Ralph. What was your greatest memory? What was the biggest win? Did you guys win any titles? What are the big moments during your time with uh, Ralph playing ECNL? Gosh, there's so many great memories that come back to the ECNL days. So I do want to credit really quick. The U16 Scott Gallagher team of last year is the first ever national championship to come out of Scott Gallagher for the ECNL. And so as an alum, that 100% brought a smile to my face because that is something that we never came close to accomplishing. Um, yeah. We, some of my best memories and some of my biggest accomplishments in the team was, so when I started playing for Scott Gallagher, I, U13. That was Ralph's first year at Scott Gallagher. And so I was fortunate enough to be a part of the club when Ralph 100% started turning it around. And there's so many great memories associated with that. And whether that be qualifying for the top division of the ECNL Nationals for the first time, or we had my U18, it was U18, but as a junior, because I was one of those trap players, we had an outstanding team and the team went undefeated in non-conference play. And I remember we told him, we're like, all right, we're going to go 20 and 0 this season. He's like, no, you're not. He's like, let's have a realistic goal at our goal setting thing. We're like, we're going 20 and 0. Sure enough, our 20th game of the season got rained out. So we went 19 and 0 and he felt the need to laugh that one in our face and rub <laughs> that one in a bit. <laughs> um, going off with, of course, the smiles that went along with it. And so 
throughout my time at Gallagher, you know, I'll always just respect the development and looking back at who I became as not only a soccer player, but as a person and the adversity I faced. So we may not have many trophies to lift up, but we really knew how to play Midwest hard soccer. And I think that's fully the reason why so many of us are successful in college today that are still playing. Sam Carey, I love the way that you're always brutally honest. As you said, you didn't come from a ton of money. So there was a little bit of fear as you joined that team. Sometimes, as you know, girls can be mean, you know, I mean, so when you first moved over to that team, did it take a little while to get adjusted with the other girls on the team, particularly at the 13U age? 13-year-olds are mean. <laughs> I will mm. never forget it. And there's there are some hard times. And it was some huge character developing moments for myself. I will never forget this till the day I die. It's just so funny, but I was at practice one day and apparently I had been quiet. And so people didn't really realize I was there. And they're like, oh my God, soccer Sam isn't here. And I was like, what? I did not know that I had a nickname. And I still apparently have this nickname throughout all of St. Louis of being called Soccer Sam because it is just very evident about how much I like the game of soccer. <laughs> and so that was the first time I'd ever been called Soccer Sam. And so I was bullied about how much I love the game, which of course now I laugh off because here I am. That was one thing. And I rec realized and I recognized that Ralph knew that I didn't necessarily always fit in with my team. You know, I was never the kid that was getting invited to the sleepovers or whatever. And I remember bluntly when I was like 14 or 15 years old, he called it out and he was like, listen, you're here to get better. You're here to play soccer. And he's like, I know what your goals are. I know that you can achieve them. He's like, who cares about the social life? Who cares about that? Put your head down and play because that's what you're here to do. And that's the mentality I had had, but hearing that from your coach and really understanding that like he believes in me, I don't care what any of these people think of me. Like, I'm going to do this. I remember when I first committed to Iowa, there was someone within my team that was like, she's not going big 10. She's not good enough to go bet 10. She must mean somewhere else. Like there was skepticism when I committed, but Ralph was one of the first people outside of my family to really put his faith in me and be like, you're going to do this and you're going to do something big. And I fully credit him to empowering me to believe in myself and keep going. Sam, do you mean that you really did not let the fact that they were calling you soccer, Sam, the fact that you weren't being invited to the sleepovers, you didn't let that rattle you. You just kept on charging. I have had a very interesting life when it comes up socially. I feel like a lot of the adversity that people reach when they're growing up, I hid at a young age. My parents were the first people to empower me and tell me that the world's not going to like you. So you better be yourself and like yourself. And I took those meetings to heart. I think I was probably one of the bluntest third graders you'll ever meet. I was pretty cruel. <laughs> but growing up with those lessons and the adversity that I've reached, um, I mean, I hit high school bullying to an extreme where I had groups of people telling me that they wanted me to go kill myself. And doing that and facing those adversities when you're 15, 16, hearing those words it's of course a different standard, but I can tell you that that is why I have thick skin today. That is why I work as hard as I do today. And everything that I've accomplished, I've accomplished for myself. I don't accomplish things because other people expect them out of me or because I want to live up to other people's standards. Cause I learned a long time ago, I never will. So mm -hmm. I'm going to do what makes me happy. what makes me love myself. And that's falling in love with the sport. All right. Well, let's rewind to your family um, because I felt like you were very open with the fact that, and you're right, some of these kids come from tons of money and their parents will fly them to games if they need to, right? They'll do whatever it takes. So tell me about your family. Do you have brothers and sisters? What did your mom and dad do? And as you're going along this path and they realize you have this special talent as an elite level soccer player, a D1 superstar for Iowa, 
How did they embrace it? Was it hard for them to embrace it based on their situation? You know, it's a great question. And I don't thank my family enough for what they've done for me and everything that they sacrificed for me. So I do have an older brother and we are the definition of polar opposites. He's my best friend, but he is a musical theater major um, currently in grad to school to do basically theme park design and wanting to work for Disney World and design Disney World. So we're very different people. <laughs> um, my dad is an engineer and he you know, does everything and my mom's a substitute teacher. And so we've grown up from humble roots and you know, we weren't superstars, but we also weren't poor off by any means. And I'll never forget it though. There's never been an athlete in my family. You know, a lot of people you hear like, oh, dad played football, mom ran track. There's never been an athlete in my family. And apparently as the story goes, when I was about three, I was just an absolute handful. So my mom put me in every sport imaginable. So whether that be soccer, volleyball, dance, cheerleading, I was apparently in cheerleading for 30 minutes and then I ran out crying. (laughs) (laughs) So that was not the sport for me. (laughs) And I just did anything and I was just competitive. I wasn't the best at anything. I'm, we actually joke at Iowa that I'm the most unathletic athlete in the world. I'm super uncoordinated, um, but I just, I love to work and I love to compete and win. And so whatever that meant is what I did and soccer stuck. And so through growing up, it was soccer and track for me. Those were the um, number one and number two sports. And I hated track. I hated track so much, but I won. I can tell you that I knew how to win at track. And my mom is definitely probably one of my most influential people in my life. And it's funny because she is the hardest person that I've ever had on me. Mm. My mom is competitive is all heck. She is one of the most competitive people I've ever met. And though she was never an athlete, once she saw that athletics was something I cared about and something I wanted to do, she said, we're doing this 100%. And so that meant automatically you're spending your Saturday mornings. Like we need to be going up to the fields. Like we're going to be doing the extra work. Like I will go to the fields with you. I'll shag every ball that you need me to shag, but we're not doing this halfway. So then when 12 year old me was having the conversation with her of, do I go play for East? You know, do I go do this? She said, you know what? I want you to support your goals. We'll find a way to financially make this happen. They shifted up a lot of their different ways. And, you know, we gave up family vacations. I don't think we did family vacations for years after that. We gave up a lot of other things. My brother sacrificed him doing big fancy stuff so I could do it, which was incredible. And she said, but if we're doing this, if our family's making these sacrifices, you're doing this right. And so that always meant that complacency was not an option. You were not to get too big of a head. If I made an accolade of some sort immediately, I need to work harder. Anything I can do, I need to put my head down and work harder. And very quickly, I was able to see the results of what working hard could do. And I got addicted to that. And so it's even known and COVID obviously brought so many different things. But one of the best things that it brought me was for five months, I got to go home and I got to be on the same field that I grew up with my mom. And I got to play soccer with my mom again, because that is where I developed so much as a player and a person and through literal sweat and tears, you know, crying because I was just messing up every shot. My mom being hard on me that I needed to get better and that I wasn't doing enough. And all the triumphs that came out of it too, like spending that time with her and her sacrificing so much of her life. Like this woman did not have a social life for 18 years because we spent our social life at a soccer field. And that sacrifice of my whole family to get me where I am is something I'm so thankful for. Wow. I love that answer. So I got to believe 
And by the way, I want to talk to that one girl that said that you weren't going to be good enough for Iowa. And I want to just <laughs> shake my finger at her a little bit. But as uh, sticking with your mom, though, as you are developing and you're becoming great and Ralph is working with you and letters are starting to come in, what was the reaction from your family when they realized, hey, she's going to be able to get to school for free because she's a great soccer player? What was their reaction to that, Sam? You know, this is actually something I didn't recently learn until now. But when I first started playing ECNL, my family started making bets, apparently, because they're like, my mom, my dad, and my brother apparently had sat down without me in the conversation. They're like, she's going to do this. Like, they all knew my determination. They knew that I was, you know, had the want and the desire to do it, and they were going to support me. And so there was bets made early on about where I was going to go to college. And so both my parents went to school in the Big Ten. Both my parents got their undergrad degrees at the University of Illinois. And then my dad went on and got his PhD at Michigan. And so I was always a Big Ten family. They're like, she's going to end up in the Big Ten. And so there was bets about what school or what conference I was going to end up at and where I was going to choosing. And I think for right now, like my mom, the ability to look back and understand that I am living out my dreams right now. And she did so much for me to get me there. There's just, there's that pride and there's nothing that beats that hug from your mom after a game. And I still feel that pride in the moment that I committed to now when I come off the field, I can say, and I've done the math and it's insane. I call my mom the ultimate soccer mom. Cause I'm pretty sure in probably about 80, let's just say college soccer games I've played. She's been at about 77 of them. Mm. She does not miss a game. And so just you know, that hug from your mom after a game, because after every game, I think I am able to connect with the fact of what that tied back to and what, you know, 13, 14, 15 year old Sam did, or I'll never forget. We played Chicago Cliffs the day of homecoming. So my mom was able to speed home after home, speed home after beating Chicago Cliffs and then drive down and I've painted my nails for homecoming in the car, just little sacrifices like that, that my family was able to make for me to have the life that I wanted and do everything I could. I think it's all just tied up into so much pride, but also it makes me hungry for more. One more question before we take our first break with Sam Carey and we get into two other sides of her. One, the Girl Scouts, which is amazing too. Her great desire to be a high-level referee, and she's doing a lot of that in the ECNL, which makes her, again, the perfect guest, I think, for Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. And that final question is, you said Big Ten was it Iowa all the way? And who was number two and three, Sam, as far as your final decision? So my first visit I had at Iowa, I was driving to Iowa and I said, who the heck would ever want to go to college here? <laughs> I said, why am I driving to Iowa right now? Naturally, I had to pull to Illinois because both my parents had gone there. And that's just always, I was like, for some reason, seventh grade Sam was like, I'm going to go to the University of Illinois. Um, and there's a few other options in there within the Big Ten, whether that be, you know, the great team that University of Wisconsin has right now or Purdue University was also in the question for me. But when I got to Iowa and I saw how special Iowa City was, I immediately, my heart drew in here. I knew that this was a community. I knew that this was an area that supported me. And then when I met Dave Diani and I met his coaching staff, I immediately knew my answer. I firmly believe that this was the best place for me. And I've grown so much as a player and as a person in this program. And I'm so thankful for everything that he as well as the rest of the coaching staff has done for me. They fully believe in family first. And I, you know, I could go into Dave's office right now if I fail the math test or if me and my fiance broke up, it's as simple as that. Like I could go cry in his office because he's a dad first. He believes in me. He always has. And, you know, through the recruiting process, this is the one thing that always stood out to me is a lot of coaches told me, they're like, you know, you're really good down the flank. You're a great 1v1 defender. You have a great left foot. 
And Dave echoed all those same things that I had heard. But Dave looked at me and goes, you're a leader. You have a voice and you know how to use it. You know, I see you as a future captain of the team. He told me that when I was a sophomore in high school and now I'm a senior in college doing that. You know, having that confidence of someone that saw me as more than just a left foot or more than just a soccer player and understanding who I wanted to be as a person, I knew that this is where I would grow and that this is where I would develop. And so I'm so thankful for the decision I made when I was 15. I knew this interview was going to be great with Sam Carey. It's greater than great. We'll have more with Sam Carey on Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast after these messages. The ECNL is pleased to announce Quick Goal as the official goal provider and partner for ECNL girls and ECNL boys, a new partnership created to support the growth and development of the country's top players, clubs, and coaches. At all national events, including national playoffs and national finals, the Quick Goal Coaches Corner will provide hospitality and social space for ECNL girls, ECNL boys, and collegiate coaches. Quick Goal will also be the presenting sponsor of the National championship winning ECNL girls and ECNL boys coaches of the year and the ECNL girls and ECNL boys goals of the year. Quick Goal looks forward to helping the ECNL continue to elevate the standards of youth soccer and provide more opportunities to players on and off the field in the coming years. ECNL Boys is partnering with Puma for the second year, driving sport forward with the leading products and the next generation of pros who wear them. Puma has proven themselves as the fastest sports brand in the world, the fastest innovation, the fastest players, and the fastest products in the game. They're the perfect partner to complement the speed and talent of our teams. In keeping with their mantra of forever faster, Puma introduces the world's fastest boot, the Ultra. The only boot engineered for speed, the Ultra combines a woven upper with a lightweight outsole for direct forward motion, speed, and acceleration. It's the best in the game, designed for the best players in the game. Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. It is indeed an honor to hang with Sam Carey, a captain, a left back for Iowa, had her game against Minnesota on Sunday, and we feature her today. You just heard her entire story about joining Ralph Richards and the St. Louis Scott Gallagher ECNL team. Now we're going to switch gears and we're going to talk Girl Scouts because I, of course, uh, doing my research, looked up your bio. Uh, I think it was during that run where you guys won the Big Ten tournament at Penn State, which was simply amazing because, you know, you had a losing record. In fact, your record was terrible, right? Going into the Big Ten tournament. And by the time you were done, your team looked like rock stars and you probably should have beat UCLA. So actually, before we get to the Girl Scouts, just talk about what happened. What brought you guys together after what was kind of a really tough year to get you to the NCAA tournament by winning the Big Ten tournament at Penn State? That season is ridiculous when you look back on it. And honestly, every time I tell this story, I get the biggest chills and I feel like I'm in some kind of movie. It's absolutely ridiculous. And like you said, it makes no sense. So we started off the season. Once we finished our Big Ten record, our record was I think two, seven and one. And at a certain point in the season, we were oh seven and one and we hadn't scored a goal. So clearly not the great season. And it was hard because in 2019, my freshman year, we had a great team. We finished fifth in the best big 10. We got an at-large bid to the NCAA tournament. And that was the first NCAA tournament Iowa had been to since like 2013. And it was our second ever. So it was a huge deal to get that in 19. And so of course in 20, you know, COVID hits, but we all have this momentum that we want, we're going to come back. Like we're going to be the Iowa team that we know we can be. And there was so much frustration early on in this season. And to be honest, we just weren't ready. 
we didn't want to win. One of the things that our identity is at Iowa, and I'm sure you see this from playing us, calling us on Sunday or calling us, whether it be the rest of our season or whatever you see in Iowa, we're hard. We are gritty. And we understand that we may not always be the most talented team, but we 100% will work harder than you. And that's what we believe in. And we weren't ready to do that yet in the early parts of the season. We were losing tackles. We were not working. We weren't doing the full sprint. And that's really, it was frustrating. And then we started turning it around and the team started coming together. We had a really new team that year. I think the 2019 season, we had lost 14 seniors. And so we had a brand new roster, we had a brand new lineup. And so for myself personally, I found myself being a sophomore and a leader on the team and trying to navigate that. And I just think we weren't ready and for whatever reason. And I'll never forget it. Um, we were at the Rutgers locker room and we were playing Rutgers who had had a great year and obviously a very talented team in the Big Ten. And for some reason, everything felt different. It was a different energy. It was a different vibe. We have a song that we listen to before every locker room. It is this weird EDM mix called Party Till We Die. And we normally sing it before the game, but we were screaming it before this game. It was something different. And we went in that game. We lost, by the way. But it didn't feel like a loss. We lost two to one. We scored our first goal of the season. And that was really the first momentum kick of where we came together as a team. Mm. And we lost from then on, like we still were losing games. It's not like we were winning, but it felt different. Our losses started to feel like wins because they were losses that we were harder. We were fighting. Sure. We weren't putting the ball in the back of the net. We led maybe a goal or two, but we started seeing our identity come through. And I gave our coaching staff, I gave our team so much credit for not letting it discourage us. Cause at the end of the day, the blessing about the COVID season was anyone can make the big 10 tournament. So we didn't really have non-conference with COVID to kind of shake out these jitters, play new positions, play new areas. So that was all building in the big 10 season, which is when we were losing, but we're like, you know what? Screw it. Everyone makes a big 10 tournament this year. You know, there's a classic thing called it's a marathon, not a sprint. So who cares if you win one game in February? Cause it really matters what you do in that game in May. And we knew that and the team just kind of came together. And to be honest, the first round of the big 10 tournament, it was at the university of Illinois. We were playing Illinois. And I remember we were in our team huddle. I don't remember this the day I die. We literally looked around each other and we're like, what do we have to lose right now? That was literally our motto. We were like, we came into this being 13 out of 14. We are by far the bottom seed. We have nothing to lose in this game. We know we're a good team. We know we can perform and we just hadn't yet. Earlier in the year, Illinois had embarrassed us. We lost three, nothing. And it was some of the worst soccer I've ever seen this team play. And so we're like, this is our chance for the comeback. We have nothing to lose. Let's do it. We won that game two, one into overtime. And we're like, oh, that kind of, that kind of worked. Okay, cool. Whatever. So we go against University of Minnesota the next game. We're like, okay, what do we have to lose? Let's make it to the Big Ten semifinal. Let's make a statement here. Six minutes into the game, we're up to nothing. And we end up winning the game two, nothing. And so now we're like, oh. That, that really worked, but now we're going to Penn state. I mean, we're going to Penn state. They're number four in the country. We're playing at Penn state. Okay. We actually, and what a lot of people know, we actually had two players on our team quit the day before the, we left for Penn state. Cause they're like, Hey, listen, we're entering the transfer portal. We don't want to be here anymore. And you guys are going to go and you're going to lose. So why would we go and waste our weekend? And we're like, okay, fine. Jump in or jump off. That was kind of the mm -hmm. mentality. You're going to jump on board. We're don't, we don't want you there. And we had this core of the team who just believed and we're like, you know what? And if we go to Penn state and we get embarrassed, that's what was expected. We were seated 13th. I remember what halftime of the 
Penn State game, we're like, oh my God, it's zero zero right now. We're like, how is it zero zero right now? But we're like, we just went to that game. We genuinely, and like our scouts are some of the most detailed things that I respect our coaching staff and the time that they put in so far. Our scout for that game was like, let's just have some fun. Mm. Like through the journey of having the upsetting season through all the losses, we kind of forgot for a bit that soccer is supposed to be fun. We're supposed to enjoy this. And we're like, we're going to have some fun. And if we lose, it's expected. Let's do it without, like, let's go out with style. Sure enough, we go up one nothing in 50th minute. And as you alluded to earlier in this podcast, in the 60th minute, I get my second yellow card of the game. And I will never forget that ever. But it was just kind of this energy that the team had. And we were like, you know what? Like, we're winning this. Like, we're going to do this. And for me, I was a player who's fortunate to start every single game in my Iowa soccer career. And all of a sudden I'm off the field. My play, my team is playing down a man against the number four team in the country on their ter- home turf in the big 10 semifinal. It was kind of like the first thought was, Oh God, like when, are, when is this game? Not if, but when is this game going down? But we just knew there was, there was an energy. And as much as I was like trying to hold it in and stay somewhat composed on the sidelines of the field, as I'm like crying and trying to understand that I just got a red card and that I'm not going to be able, even able to play if we continue on this tournament. I'm like, no, this is the team right now. This is the fact that the Iowa women's soccer team is about to be Penn State. It's nothing about yourself as an individual. And I think that was the first moment in my college career. I understood what it was to be a teammate and I understood what it was. And my team, you know, everyone's subbing off. They're all coming up, giving me a hug. And I'm like, no, we have a game to win. Like, don't talk about me right now. Let's not talk about the situation. Like the girl who subbed in for me um, and we're playing down man was playing phenomenal. The best soccer I'd ever seen playing. That was so cool. And sure enough, we upset Penn State and we won the game. And probably one of the hardest for me, things for me throughout this whole process was like the next day we're at practice and you have your girls that play heavy minutes, you know, typically have a lighter day or a rest day to recover. And the girls that didn't play, you know, have an intense practice. And I was in that intense practice group because I knew I wasn't playing on Sunday. And that was the first time I've really ever been in that group. And it was kind of that reality strike. And then on top of that, I typically am involved or take set pieces for the team. Clearly I'm not taking any set pieces on that Sunday. So I had to teach someone how to do what I do. And that was an ego check for me real quick. Cause I was like, wait, this is my spot. Like, why do I want to teach her? And I'm like, no, like this is the Iowa women's soccer team right now. And we're doing something amazing. Iowa had been, been, to, been to a big 10 championship game, but we had never won one. We had never probably even come close. And so the fact was we were playing Wisconsin at Penn state in the big 10 championship. And though I wasn't even able to wear my Jersey for that game, like that was such a team moment. And we go up Jenny Cape scores an absolute screamer of a shot. We win the game. And the first thing was, you know, they present you with a trophy. And I remember our team captain at the time and our coach and, and our coach shoved me forward to go accept the trophy. They're like, you just won this big 10 championship too. And they're like, this is not about, you know, they, they're like, you're a champion too. Like, Don't forget it. Like you may not have been able to play the game, but you are part of this team and you brought an impact to this team. And the joke is honestly that, you know, we were our heart rate monitors and all that again. They're like, I should have been strapped up because I think I had more loads than half the girls on the field with the way I was screaming and jumping on the bench. And just that moment of accepting that trophy for my team. And even though I wasn't even in the game and being a part of a big 10 championship team, I have my big 10 championship ring on my desk. And I look at that thing every day. Like that is one of the most remarkable things we've ever done as a program. And just to go from where we were to coming together as this group, it was, it gives me chills every time. 
Sam, this is awkward because you're tough and I'm about ready to cry right now. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I'm watching the notebook right now, you know? So I love that story so much, Sam. What we're going to do is we're going to take one more break. We are going to come back and talk Girl Scouts. And I'm definitely going to be crying, I think. And Sam Perry, the superstar left back for the Iowa Hawkeyes on Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Nike is a proud sponsor of ECNL Girls. Nothing can stop what we can do together to bring positive change to our communities. You can't stop sport because hashtag you can't stop our voices. Follow Nike on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. From athletes just starting to turn heads to some of the best athletes to ever play their games, Gatorade shows that they are the proven fuel of the best. For the athletes who give everything, nothing beats Gatorade the studied, tested, and proven fuel of the ECNL. Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Perhaps my favorite podcast I've ever done, Sam Carey, the superstar for the Iowa Hawkeyes, saying it like it is, breaking down that incredible run a couple years ago during the COVID year for Iowa, a team that had a terrible record, got it done. Thanks for sharing that story because if you remember, when we went to break, I thought we were going to talk Girl Scouts, and you did such a great job breaking down that run that I had to keep it going. But now we are going to talk Girl Scouts because it's another thing about you, particularly you telling me that there was some adversity when you went to ECNL, that some of the girls um, can be mean. And I look at the Girl Scouts, and I've always admired the Girl Scouts. I've admired Boy Scouts. It's one of my biggest regrets that I didn't put my two boys who were great athletes into Boy Scouts and the fact that you were so proud and I mentioned it on TV and then you reached out to me to say, thank you, Dean. I mean, that, that meant so much to me. So yeah, I am going to do the notebook thing on me, uh, but it, you have been a lifer as a Girl Scout. So you did all this stuff and I'm sure people made fun of you for being a Girl Scout, right? I mean, all the time, right? But you absolutely loved it. Absolutely. So in case you didn't know, being a Girl Scout isn't exactly cool. <laughs> and it's something, you know, my family's always been involved in the Scouts. My dad was an Eagle Scout himself. He was my brother's Boy Scout troop leader. When I was in kindergarten, my mom became my Girl Scout troop leader. It was just something our family did. And I respected the values that scouting brings. It brought me new adventures. And even today, like there's so many life skills that I realized that I learned through Scouts that other people don't have. Like one of our biggest things was, you know, I had to learn how to change a tire. I had to learn what the inside of my car means and stuff like that. How to tie a knot. The other day I sewed a button and my roommate was looking at me and she's like, how the heck do you know how to sew a button? Like these random things that you don't understand come up in life came to me through my scouting experience. And I'm beyond grateful for that. But really it was just, you know, it was my family. It was my troop was my friends. And it was my way of honestly detaching from being an athlete because when you're a Girl Scout it doesn't matter that you're a soccer player or Girl Scouts is the only extracurricular you do it's what you're doing at that time and it was a great experience for me I used to be terrified of thunderstorms until I went to Girl Scout camp in the middle of a thunderstorm and then I got over that fear there's so many little memories and little experiences that I've had through being a Girl Scout that really have impacted who I am but that's like your stereotypical Girl Scouts so, you know, when you're growing up, I started when I was in kindergarten and kindergarten through about eighth grade, Girl Scouts is cool for the most part. You know, you have your elementary school troops, you have your people and you get your experiences. You, you know, get to ride a horse, you get to, you know, canoe, do random things that's different and that's exciting. What I didn't understand was the opportunities and the experiences that you can start to capitalize on when you're an older Girl Scout. And these are not advertised enough. And it's some of the best stuff I've done in my life. 
So as I said, my mom was my troop leader. And to be honest, that was where a lot of my motivation to stay in Girl Scouts came from. And throughout your time in Scouts, you know, my troop went from 14 girls in kindergarten to 10 in third grade and slowly starts dwindling down to when I was in high school, it was three of us. There was three girls and three moms. And these two girls are my best friends for life. And that was a lot of the motivation too. Cause I'm like, Oh, like this is my chance to hang out with these girls. They didn't go to my high school. So, you know, we could call it a troop meeting and just have a sleepover, the three of us. And that was great. But there's so many different opportunities that Girl Scouts can provide and lessons that you learn through these things. I'll never forget my sophomore year of high school. My mom was like, Hey, we need to just practice your interviewing ability. Like just in case you ever do a job interview, you know, for those future lives, whatever you need a scholarship, whatever it might be, let's work on how you interview, how you answer questions. And so I signed you up for this random interview. I didn't even know what the interview was for, but sure enough, I go in a room with a bunch of scary people and I practice my interviewing skills and just real life stuff. What I didn't know going in was that was for a girl representative on the board of directors of Girl Scouts. And I got it. So Growing up, my sophomore, junior, and senior year of high school, I was a youth representative on the Girl Scouts of Eastern Missouri Board of Directors. So this was 25 prominent adults in the community, meaning the president of Truman State University, the CEO of Anheuser-Busch, and a couple other extremely prominent organizations and affiliations within St. Louis, and some schmuck 17-year-old girl who had no idea what she was doing. Mm -hmm. But getting this experience of talking finances with adults at a long table and going to board meetings and understanding, you know, different aspects of, you know, we had to negotiate the CEO of Girl Scout salary at one point. And I'm like, I don't know that I should be in this conversation or that I'm qualified enough to do this. <laughs> but getting that exposure was unreal. On top of that, I was really big into journalism. And through that, I connected with the right people at Girl Scouts. And I became the editor in chief of a Girl Scout led newspaper from across country. And getting experiences like that really just opened my horizons of what I wanted my life to be. I've always loved soccer and I've loved the game of soccer and what it's brought into me. And I've learned more and more that I just love to see hard work pay off. I love when I'm passionate about something and I love just fully throwing myself into it. And in most cases in my life, that's been soccer. But the exposure that I've gotten through Girl Scouts and understanding of it you know, what that could be and how to find passion outside of sport for, let's be realistic when I'm 50 and can't like kick a ball anymore besides for my indoor leagues, cause I'll find a way to be in there. <laughs> it was incredible to get those experiences. And like, even I was a part of a group through Girl Scouts that was able to tour St. Louis. And we talked about issues. We talked about gentrification. We talked about what it's, you know, what does prison look like in St. Louis? And we went inside a prison in St. Louis. We talked about the court system. There were so many impactful experiences that opened my eyes of what being a human was, how to understand the world and how to understand the world outside your bubble. And all of these experiences came to me through being a Girl Scout. On top of that, you know, in Boy Scouts, it's more known, but in Girl Scouts, there's a project called the Gold Award, and it's the equivalent of an Eagle Scout in Boy Scouts. And through that process, I had to find a project that I was passionate about. I had to go in front of a panel of five people and pitch that project. The project has to be 80 hours of your own work, as well as work that you've led through others. On top of that, it has to be sustainable in some way. So this isn't as simple as like, I'm going to build a table so that there's a table. It has to have some kind of life beyond you. And that gave me an opportunity to start working with organizations, start figuring out what I wanted to do with my life and really understand what I'm passionate about. And for me, before I played for the ECNL, where I had a great coach with a lot of resources and a lot of large club, 
I played soccer for a no-name team. My coach didn't know soccer, so he didn't know what a warm-up was. He had no idea what a cool-down was, had no idea how to tell 10, 11, 13-year-old girls what to eat, how to fuel their bodies. There was just no resources for you know, these non-provident clubs, and so I decided to make them. And I spent my Girl Scout Gold Award projects educating myself and then mentoring three different youth soccer teams that don't have these resources about how to properly fuel yourself, what to do. Beyond that, I created a stream of videos and I went to our local church association and they include those videos and they still do, which is kind of unfortunate because I've grown up a lot since then. <laughs> and they show these videos to their coaches every year so that you know, whatever 11, 12, 13 year old girl that they're coaching that they may not know this information, this exposure someone has. And so doing a project like that completely, completely changed what I wanted to do with my life. And it honestly even helped sway my major. I'm a public health major right now because I understand that health is not an individual, but it affects a group. And that wasn't something I don't think I'd be able to learn without Girl Scouts and the impact of just diving into a project. It's been remarkable. And so though I do get teased, and being a 13 year old Girl Scout is not necessarily the coolest thing in the world. It's been remarkable to be able to spread that knowledge of Girl Scouts and the experiences that I've had and let that be everything I want it to be and more. And that right there is why when I said it on TV, you embraced it, immediately sent a picture of to me in your, your Girl Scouts outfit and you're still rolling with it, right? Absolutely. I'm a lifelong Girl Scout member. Um, and so with that certification, really what I do is when I'm back in St. Louis and I'm back in my community, I find ways to connect with troops still. I find ways to lead projects. And honestly, right now I actually have a job for an affiliation called Girl Soccer Network, which is this international organization that has social media. And I do a lot of content creation and life skills with them. And we've developed a program called Soccer AC United within this program. And it was it really lasted out the summer. We got 10 girls from a national scale. So all the way from UCLA to Florida state being mentors and about 90 girls signed up and we broke it down like Girl Scouts. And when I created this program with the CEO of Girl Soccer Networks, I was like, listen, we're going to do this like Girl Scouts. And we had troops, we had meetings, we had badges, and it was a smashing success, this program. And we were able to take the knowledge of Girl Scouts combine it with girls who love soccer, give it soccer specific and life specific knowledge. And it was, it was remarkable. And so if it wasn't for my background of Girl Scouts and my ability to still tie with the community, stuff like that would never be able to happen. Last question about Girl Scouts before we take one more break and learn about all the work you're doing to get into the refereeing world, which I find fantastic. Girl Scout cookies. Are you, did you sell a ton of them or what's the deal with that? You know, I had to be the top seller. I told you I'm competitive. I had to win that ultimate prize. So of course I sold Girl Scout cookies. It's funny because there was a decent amount of Girl Scouts in my neighborhood. Um, we were all around the same age growing up, but obviously as you get older, there's less and less of them, but there's like a specific day. So it's like typically around January 10th is when you can start selling Girl Scout cookies. And it's typically like a mad race around the neighborhood about who can knock on whose doors first and who's a frequent customer from who and so it was really advantage being a girl scout when i was like a senior in high school because there was no other girls to compete with me so i had run in the neighborhood <laughs> that's awesome listen before we go to break i feel like if you don't say those two friends that you're forever bound to because of girl scouts they'll be really upset so why don't you say their names before we go to break because i think that's pretty special that you're still connected 
Of course. Well, Josie Prince and Mackenzie Jones, who actually is a stud soccer player at Grand Valley University. I couldn't do life without you two. I love it. All right. We got one more break. We're hanging out with Sam Carey. How cool is she? This is Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Soccer.com is proud to partner with the ECNL to support the continued development of soccer in the U.S. at the highest levels. We've been delivering quality soccer equipment and apparel to players, fans, and coaches since 1984. Living and breathing the beautiful game ourselves, our goal at Soccer.com is to inspire you to play better, cheer louder, and have more fun. Visit Soccer.com today to check out our unmatched selection of gear, expert advice, and stories of greatness at every level of the game. Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Absolutely loving hanging out with Sam Carey of the Iowa Hawkeyes. She is so passionate, so cool, an outstanding soccer player, but a Girl Scout and a, also somebody who is, uh, you want to be a referee, right? So you're part of the ECNL referee program. Can you walk me through that, Sam? Yeah. So actually, I'd like to say I helped create the ECNL referee program. Is that um, right? Is, it's pretty cool. So. I started refereeing when I was a freshman in high school. As we've kind of touched on before earlier in this podcast, you know, my family didn't come from much and they very much told me real quickly that if you want to go spend $20 at the mall, you got to earn that money to do it. So I got a job and being a player in the ECNL, who, you know, travels to different states every other weekend, it's kind of hard to start flipping burgers like most kids my age. So I got into refing and I was like, listen, who wants to be a referee? God dang. But like, I can make some money. I can pick my own schedule. Doesn't sound too bad. I get to spend my weekends at a soccer field. And my first year of refing, I 100% didn't take it seriously. I'll be the first person to admit that. And so, yeah, I started refing when I was 15 years old and it was just kind of something to do for money. It worked into my schedule. I could pick my own availability and I got to spend days around soccer. And about a year into refing, I was like, oh, I could actually be good at this. And I kind of enjoy it, you know? bluntly for me I used it as an advantage meaning you know they always say that there's no better way of playing soccer than watching it so I was like well I'm getting paid to watch five games a weekend right now like this is pretty great <laughs> so I'd be the ref that was tactically correcting all the people in my brain on top of that you've seen me play soccer I'm an outside player and I genuinely believe learning as a referee how to run and avoid play and see passing lanes to get out of them helped me start seeing them on the field you know, being around soccer in general and just spending that much time around something I love also benefited my game. So I was like, oh, I'm going to start taking this some seriously. I'm going to start doing this. I started, I just fell in love with the right people. And to be honest, refereeing is such a community. There are so many outstanding people in the refing world that, you know, saw 15, 16 year old me and would invite me to go get dinner with them after games. And I got to learn people's stories and we'd sit around the state cup tournament and share war stories as we called them about, Oh, I had this crazy coach. Oh, I had this crazy situation, you know, and I fell in love with it from that regard. However, what I also started noticing when I'm, you know, I'm in those developing years when you're trying to figure out who you are and what you want to do. I'm 15, 16 years old being able to referee a soccer game takes a lot of personality, a lot of confidence, and a lot of decisiveness. And those are all things that I really didn't have any way to learn in my life. And I didn't know yet. But let me tell you, when you have a 40-year-old man screaming in your face that it was a handball and you don't think it was, you got to learn really quickly how to sell that call. You know, you have to be able to hold your chest out high, speak in a calm voice when I'm, you know, just as scared as you are. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out not how to not show it. And all of these things really 
just help me develop into the individual that I am and the person that I am that, you know, I'm pretty fearless. I'll start up a conversation with anyone. I love, you know, socializing and talking to people. I can uh, clearly talk someone's ear off, but all of those came from refereeing and it really developed me into who I am as well as you can make some really good money refing. So I was like, this is a perfect gig. Well, Ralph Richards found out that I was refing and he loved it. You know, at first he watched a game that I refed and he was like, oh, like, you're actually a good ref. And I'm like, well, I wasn't doing this. Like, I'm bad at it. Like, I'm <laughs> pretty much a perfectionist. I'm like, I'm going to spend time doing well. I'm like, I'm not going to just going to screw over a game. I know the impacts that that can have. And he goes, no, like, you could do something here. Like, this is really cool. And I was a junior in high school. And he's like, there was a big ECNL weekend in St. Louis that weekend. And he's like, no, we're going to talk to Christian Lavers and we're going to do a big thing about you being a referee right now, because, you know, there's a huge referee shortage across the country and this might be a way to help. And so they made this big, very cheesy looking back on it. I'd love to fix that video. Um, terrible <laughs> video of me when I was 16 refing a game and I just got experience and we got some exposure about how to ref games, how to sign up to be a referee and the impacts that it could bring. And like I said, throughout the rest of my career, Ralph always brought me in to ref any of his ECNL friendlies. And even when I'm home now, I still get some text messages from him or other Gallagher coaches. I'm the go-to ref from there. But I also got to see my career develop and I got to start refing more and expanding the level of games. So at first I'm doing just local games and then now I'm refing in the WPSL and I'm refing in the men's equivalent and starting to get more experience in moving up in the world. So what a lot of people don't know is for refing, it actually works a lot of the way that youth soccer works because it's all through US Youth Soccer. So you ref your state tournament and then they pick the best refs from the state tournament to go to regionals. Out of regionals, there's about 225, 250 refs there and they pick the top 25 out of there to go to nationals. And so I graduated high school a semester early. So January of 2019, spent fully focused on working on soccer in the spring, but when I came back to St. Louis after being at Iowa for a semester, I was like, oh, this is the first time I can actually go and ref these higher level tournaments because I'm not at ECNL Nationals for the first time in my life. Because for a lot of like the time, ECNL Nationals conflicts with regionals. So I'm like, oh, I can't do it. Whatever. Obviously, my focus was playing. I was like, oh, I'm going to give this a go, see how it goes. And like, oh, my God, like Sam can finally go to the regional tournament. So I go to the regional tournament up in Saginaw, Michigan, and out of those 250 refs at 18 years old, I was one of the 25 selected. And I was absolutely shocked. That was not even something I had on my radar going in. Like I've established, I'm very competitive. So I did hear there was a rookie of the year award and I'm like, I'm gonna go get that. And <laughs> what I didn't know is I did get that. And then I got invited to nationals. So I did both. All right. And so 18 year old me goes to USU's nas US nationals in July of 2019. Out of the 100 refs there, I was probably one of three under the age of 21, um, most of them in their upper 20s. And I got to spend a weekend refing and expanding my game even there, learning from amazing mentors and incredible people. And I'm like, oh, wow, like, I kind of, it was my first taste of like, this is something I can actually do. This is beyond just, you know, some high school schmuck getting some money and building some life skills while I'm doing it. Like, I enjoy this. Like this is giving back to the game that has loved me so like that has given me so much and that I love to do. I love the people I'm around. Like this is fun. 
And I'm extremely blessed that I have a coach in Dave that supports my actions and he loves that I ref and he'll be the first one to, you know, cheer me on when I get a big assignment and find ways to make things work. And I really appreciate all that support that he's given me through my refing career. And, you know, it's always funny because my whole team knows I'm a referee and all those different regards. So they're very quickly, you know, sending me clips like, Oh, what do you think of that? Or like, what do you think of this call and stuff like that? But even now that I'm a senior in college, I've found ways to keep through it. It's extremely difficult to ref. I don't ref in the fall. Obviously all my focus is on big 10 and playing, but I've been really fortunate that Dave gives me some flexibility in the spring that allows me to rest and allows me to spend some of my player loads, as we like to say, on the soccer field in a different capacity. What that was able to bring to me is this past summer, I was actually down in Louisville. I was playing on a USLW team and we got a random week off and I was like, oh, screw it. I'll go to regionals again. I had no intention of anything. I'm like, I really probably haven't refed 10 games in three years just because of being in college and then COVID and everything. Sure enough, go back to the regional tournament get a magical phone call saying, we want you to go to nationals again. And I was like, are you sure? I'm like, you realize like I have not ref in a while. And they're like, you're good enough to do it. You know that you're good enough to do it. Mm-hmm. So this past summer, I was able to, I was flown down by us soccer to go to Orlando, Florida. And I got to be coached up by incredible referees like Mark Geiger, who's ref in the FIFA world cup, Tori Penso, who's in the MLS and doing extremely things there. Her and I became acquainted really close and just the exposure of the people. And it's a different side of my game. Honestly, I call it my stress reliever. When I get super focused on the playing, I get to think about the refing. And when I think about the refing, I think about the playing. And it's two different sides to me. Um, it is funny because, like I said, at that regional tournament, I hadn't refed significantly in a decent amount of time. And so as referees, there's a very high seriousness of the game that people don't always understand. And so we were watching film of me refing, And the joke was that I should have been a player in that game. They should have put me in a penny because like I was wide open. I don't know why they were passing the ball. <laughs> like I was making runs that no referee had business making. I was like at one point like in the six yard box. And they're like, why are you in the six yard box? I'm like, cause the girl should have crossed it to me. So sometimes <laughs> I do have a hard time um, <laughs> switching between those hats. And it's also quite funny because being a ref, I do know a lot of refs. I do know a lot of refs who ref in the big 10 and no, by no means. So I get preferential treatment, but it does always mean that I get a look here or there. They're like, wait, I recognize you. I'm like, yeah, you do. You better know you recognize me different <laughs> things like that. But it's been incredible. And it's definitely something I'm looking to do after college and want to see where it can take me. So two more questions about refereeing. One, I felt like you said, essentially you helped create a program within the ECNL. Did I, did I hear that correct? Like you were kind of the leader of that or did I hear that? So I would give more credit to Ralph of creating the program and what they've done from here on. I was just more of the kickoff face of it. So um, Ralph got the idea and um, different people like Christian Lavers in the ECNL found out about this random ECNL kid who's a referee and it's grown from there and it's grown out of my hands by any means but I was the random face because like oh people ref when they're playing you know and I was like apparently all right then the second question is because you were a referee when you think about the two yellows in the semifinals (laughs) were they legit Sam or not (laughs) there's so many funny stories that come around this um first of all I can tell you that because that game was on BTN I had a lot of referee friends watching that game. And I think my phone blew up to a whole new degree after that game with refs randomly deciding that it was the perfect time to insert their opinion about the call. I will never correct another referee. I understand it's a very hard job, but let's just say I 
regret to comment from that because I see things differently. Um, <laughs> okay, we'll leave it as that. That's the most that politically <laughs> correct statement I can give about that. All right. Translation is should not have been a second yellow. I think is what you're saying. All right, I'll take that for sure. Okay, so as we wrap up our time with you and I could talk to you all day long and even another day as well. And I can't wait to call more of your games and see you guys hopefully in the big 10 tournament, make a big run. I hope you can make it to Columbus, Ohio and, and have a good time. Um, I think you also said that uh, you're a double major and you have a fiance. So get us caught up onto that. <laughs> yeah. So I am a double major in sports studies and public health at Iowa. Um, you know, it's been an adventure balancing being a college athlete and, a soccer player and a student and everything else I do, but I've been able to do it and I love my majors and I'm excited to do whatever I end up doing with the rest of my life. And yes, I did recently get engaged. I got engaged on August 24th. So pretty recent. My fiance is not an athlete. He'll be the first one to tell you that, but I did get proposed to at the university of Iowa soccer field. So that did feel fitting. Oh, tell me about that. Tell me uh, how, he, <laughs> how, how he did it. Tell me his name and what, what he does. Yeah, so his name's Trey. Trey Angel's his name. So the other joke is my nickname is Scary Carrie on the team. Um, and so, because my first initial last name is spelled Scary. So somehow I'm going from Scary Carrie to an angel. Don't know how that's going to fit. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, we started dating my freshman year of college. He's from small town Iowa and he is a finance nerd. So nothing that I do but he's genuinely the most supportive and most caring and kind person that I've ever met in my life. And genuinely, I don't know if I would have gotten through these last four years if it weren't for him. So he's remarkable. And yeah, we had talked about engagement because at the end of the day, I want to play pro soccer. And I understand that I have no idea where that's going to take me, whether that's in the United States, whether that's in a different country. And it's probably, the truth is, it's probably all of the above. And I remember I told him this on our first date. I was like, listen, bro, I created a 20 question quiz because I am a psychopath in some regards. And I gave him a quiz on our first date because I was like, listen, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this with full intention. And somehow he stuck around, which was, you know, green flag number one. And <laughs> I was like, I want to play pro soccer. I don't know where it's going to take me. Are you down for this? And he immediately said, he was like, buckle up, let's go. So what we're doing is I am engaged and we already have a date. So I'm getting married December 10th, 2023. So a little over a year from now, because that'll be right after my fifth year. And then wherever I end up, wherever life takes me in regards of trying to play, he's going to be right there for the ride with me. And so I'm so excited about that. And yeah, my teammate lied to me. I'm still not a gay, but Monica Wilhelm lied to me that she lost her phone at our soccer facility. So before her and I just went out to a random dinner on a Friday night, we had to go find her phone. Obviously I knew something goes up when I got blindfolded and I got taken to our balcony of our brand new soccer facility and Trey had hung lights everywhere and he had brought dinner, our favorite dinner and got down on Wendy and proposed. I did respect, he actually did steal my phone the week before and found Dave's phone number and texted Dave asking for permission of Dave to use the facility to propose. So I am the first proposal at the Iowa soccer facility, I think. <laughs> and yeah, it was incredible. And I'm so excited to start doing life with him. You're incredible. I really had so much fun, Sam. And I was so pleased that you were thrilled that I reached out. So I appreciate that. I, I felt like we had that connection because of the Girl Scout thing as well. And certainly I can feel the connection here. And your story is just wonderful on so many layers. And we're going to continue to follow your career intently sam you're going to do great things i want to wish you all the best the rest of the season definitely want to wish you all the best uh, as you get married and pursue your professional career 
It was a great honor, really an outstanding interview, Sam. Thanks for being on Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. For more information on the ECNL, visit us at www.theecnl.com. And if you have a suggestion for the show or a great idea for a guest, please email us at info at theecnl.com. Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast is an ECNL production. ECNL, more than a league.